The Ostomy Nurse Project. Alright everybody, hey, welcome. Thank you for tuning in to this episode today named The Resection Collection where I'm going to be explaining to you about the different types of operations somebody who has a stoma may have undergone and talk about the parts of the body that were either removed or operated on in order to create their stoma. So this is a really good episode because it applies to lots of different people. It applies to people who have had a stoma formed because during their pre-operative counselling with their surgeon um, and their stomal therapy nurse, they may not have understood exactly what part of the body was going to be operated on. I'd like to think that they'd have some semblance of an idea, but quite often people are thinking about stuff other than their own anatomy when, when they're facing these operations. And it's not like you get all the time in the world with your surgeon to talk to you about the the ins and outs of the techniques that they use to resect a piece of your bowel or bladder. So it's good to backtrack and actually revert back and learn a little bit about exactly what went on. It's also important for friends and family of people who have a stoma who might not have been in those preoperative sessions, who may not have been privy to this information. So aside from having to Google yourself and look up what type of operation, you know, what's removed in, in this type of surgery, I'm going to be able to tell you and you can tune into it and listen and I'll give you a down-to-earth explanation of exactly what was taken out and put back together. There's actually a lot of uh, background noise in our podcast today, and I apologize to anyone who's listening to it. There's some construction going on in the room next to me, and aside from padding up the walls with mattresses, I've, I've tried to edit out as much of the sound effects as I can, but you might be able to hear the occasional bang or scrape uh, from the room next to me. So I apologize. My editing skills are not the best, but hopefully I've dulled it down as much as I can for any of you who are listening today. Now, I want to just add in a fun fact because I love to add in fun facts on my podcasts. Keeps it a little bit more interesting than just talking about poos and wheeze. But the word for bowel, which, I mean, we know now is bowel, B-O-W-E-L, or bowels, plural, for small and large. Originally, that word came from um, the old French language for bowel, B-O-E-L-E, which referred to the intestines um, and the innards. And the really cute part that I wanted to um, mention is the fact that um, as the word traveled through different languages, uh, the Latin adaption of it actually uh, came out for um, the word botellus or botulus, which is actually originally a, a word for sausage. So I think that's very accurate. Uh, even back in the day, they called the intestines a sausage because that's basically what they would have looked like to them back then. And... Another fun fact, let's face it, sausages these days are made from intestinal casings. So even back then, 13th century, they had the intestines pegged as little sausages that food travelled through. So enough of my fun facts. Let's move on. We're going to be starting at the very start of the intestinal tract, so looking at the small intestine first, and I'll be explaining bowel resections that occur in that area. Then we're going to be moving all the way down to the large intestine, um, right around to the rectum and anal canal, so the very last part of the digestive system. And last but not least, I'm going to throw in a little bit of information about resections of the bladder uh, and kidneys because people with a urinary diversion have also had both bladder and bowel resections. So I don't want you guys to miss out. I'm going to be covering that too. So when we talk about anything to uh, do with the word ectomy in a hospital that's terminology that basically refers to anything that involves cutting out ectomy 
is actually a mixture of a Greek word and a Latin word. The Greek word ektos, which is out, and Latin exter, which is outer. And you might know that in similar words like external, exterior. So you can see where the term, the medical term ectomy would have come from the cutting out of something. And that's really all it means. The prefix or the word that comes before that just indicates what part of the anatomy is being cut out. And so that's all we talk about really when we talk about a resection is the removal or, or cutting into something. So in the small intestine where we're starting, uh, we have a small bowel resection. And a small bowel resection can also be known as an enterectomy. But the word enterectomy is particularly reserved for small bowel resections as apart from a colectomy. You could call both uh, areas an enterectomy, but to distinguish between the two, enterectomy is often used for small bowel operations and colectomy is often referred to the large bowel. However, both can be referred to as an enterectomy, but in the hospital we just call them a small bowel resection. And a small bowel resection is surgery to remove a part or all of your small bowel. And it's done when a part of the bowel is blocked or diseased. And if there's enough healthy small intestine left, those two ends are re-stitched together or stapled together. And this is called an anastomosis. That's a big fancy term. It just means that the two ends have been put back together, either sutured or stitched or stapled with a medical grade stapler, which is the common uh, instrument that's used these days. Now, it's important to note that the more small bowel that's removed, the higher the risk for metabolism problems afterwards. So going back to our episode that we talked about the small bowel and the fact that there's three parts to it and that it's very, very long, a lot of that small bowel tissue spends the time absorbing the goodness and the nutrients from the food that we eat. So it makes sense that the more bowel that you take out of the small intestine, the less time there's going to be for nutrients to be absorbed. And so people who have too much small intestine removed often go on to develop metabolism problems. And particularly if you have a stoma, you can go on to have permanently high output from that stoma because the transition time, just simply in terms of length, is not enough to absorb uh, the nutrients from the food that you're eating. It's exiting too quickly. So that's something to be aware of for some people that have certain types of stomas. Some people who have a stoma very high up in the bowel will have a stoma called a jejunostomy. In very, very rare cases, people would have a duodenostomy, but that's very rare. Um, but we do come across jejunostomies, which is the higher portion of the small intestine. And so if people have a lot of small bowel removed, they tend to have increased amounts of output more so to the point than they can absorb nutrients. And they often have to go on to lifelong intravenous therapy for fluids. Um, and sometimes in really severe cases, lifelong parenteral nutrition through an IV just to keep them alive. But that really covers the small bowel resections. Um, there's not a great deal of difference in the types of resections that go on in the small bowel because really the most common uh, type of resection might be either one that results in a stoma being formed um, or one that results in an anastomosis or a rejoining of that piece of bowel, which allows the food to continue to go through and have absorption take place. So once food's travelled all the way through our small intestine, as we know, it gets to the very end and travels into the cecum or the large intestine. 
And so this is where we start diverting into our different types of ectomies. So we've got more ectomies. And in the large intestine, we refer to these as colectomies because colo is colon and ectomy, as we just mentioned, is to cut out. In terms of the large intestine, the large intestine is divided into different sections. And basically, the type of resection that's listed will actually refer to the area in the large intestine that's being cut out. And if we start at the very first part of the large intestine, we have an operation called a right hemicolectomy. And a right hemicolectomy is used to remove tumours in the right colon, the patient's right side, not the right side when a nurse is staring at the person, because that can be very confusing and happens a lot, surprisingly. Um, so a right hemicolectomy is in the right colon and operations on this area remove the cecum and the ascending colon, which is the part that travels right up the right side. It can also remove part of the ileum, the very last part, and the appendix as well. And in the case of what we call an extended right hemicolectomy, they also remove the transverse colon, so which is the part of colon that goes straight across the top of your abdomen. So that's called an extended right hemicolectomy. And that may also be done to remove tumours up in the transverse colon or the hepatic flexure. And the hepatic flexure is just the bend in the colon that attaches near the liver. Uh, and stomas are often not required in these cases for a right hemicolectomy. So, but I think it's important to mention that that's, that's obviously a resection that does take place, but doesn't often result in a stoma. Moving on to the middle of the large intestine, like we just said, the transverse colon. A transverse colectomy removes that middle section, and this surgery may be used to remove a tumour in the middle of the colon where the cancer hasn't spread to any other parts. Some doctors prefer to do an extended hemicolectomy rather than just a transverse colectomy um, to make sure that they get full clearance of any cancer or blockages in these areas. So transverse colectomies aren't really all that common, but if they're going to happen, sometimes a surgeon will choose to do an extended hemicolectomy. Moving across to the left side of the colon, so traveling on further, there is a left hemicolectomy, so the left half of the colon. A left hemicolectomy removes part of the transverse colon, so the very end uh, which attaches to the splenic flexure and the splenic flexure is the bend in the colon on the other side near the spleen. Uh, it also removes the descending colon and part of the sigmoid colon which is the very last section of bowel. And a left hemicolectomy is used to remove tumours uh, anywhere in the left-sided colon and depending on how much colon is removed and the reason behind it, a temporary ileostomy may be formed to rest that joint um, that's that's reconnected together. It's not always an ileostomy, but it's quite often the case. And the reason they may have to do that stoma is because if they're taking a significant portion of that left side of the bowel, they've got two ends that they need to pull and stretch together to reconnect. And that puts a lot of tension on the bowel. So depending on how much bowel they've taken and how tight that junction is when they have to pull it all together, that area needs to rest for a significant period of time um, so that it heals correctly. And so that's why a temporary stoma may be done in the small intestine to rest that entire remaining large bowel until such time as that it heals and they can close that temporary stoma. And this brings us to the last portion of the large intestine or the sigmoid colon. 
And so a sigmoid colectomy uh, can also be known as a proctosigmoidectomy and sometimes even referred to as what we call a Hartman's procedure. And a sigmoid colectomy removes the sigmoid or last portion of the colon, the little bend at the end before it gets to the rectum. And it's used to remove tumors in the very lower part of the large intestine or to divert stools away from obstructing rectal cancers. Other conditions that may require this type of resection uh, include perforated or obstructing tumors, a volvulus of the sigmoid colon, which is where the bowel gets a twist in it and blocks off. It can also be done in cases of ischemic colitis, so inflammation of the colon where the blood supply is compromised. Perforations to the rectal tissue or colonic tissue can result in having to have a resection done, as well as radiation damage. Too much radiation on the portion of the bowel can actually render it uh, useless, basically, and so it has to be removed because it's not viable anymore. Now, the Hartman's procedure, going back to that, was first described in 1921 by a French surgeon called Henry Albert Hartman, or Henri Albert Hartman. And in a Hartman's procedure, an end colostomy is formed. In this operation, they separate the very last portion of the sigmoid colon and they close over the rectal stump. So your rectum is left in place, but it's stitched shut. And the very end portion of the bowel is stitched up onto the skin and that becomes your colostomy. And on that, if you are interested in learning a little bit more about the Hartman's procedure or Henry Hartman himself, tune into the Ostomy Nurse Project podcast episode named The Stoma's Horrible Histories, where I talk about uh, the Hartman's procedure and when in the timeline of the invention of stomas he came about and that his procedure became popularized. Um, in a simple sigmoidectomy, a stoma may not be necessary. So if it's just that small portion of the large bowel being um, being removed, they may be able to pull that together and anastomose it quite nicely. And in which case, a stoma will not be necessary. They can just return the continuity of waste through there without too much hassle. But a Hartman's procedure itself is designed to divert stool out of the body. And so people with a colostomy may have had a Hartman's procedure done. All right. We're talking subtotals and totals and completions now. So colectomy surgery uh, in general is to remove a part or all of the colon. If most of the colon is removed, so this is leaving in place the rectum and the anal canal and all that sort of stuff. If most of the colon is removed, it is called a subtotal or a partial colectomy. We usually call it a subtotal colectomy. If all of the colon is removed, including the cecum and the appendix, it is called a total colectomy. So everything's gone. And a subtotal or total colectomy is done where there is either cancer on both the right and left sides of the colon. These surgeries may also be offered to some people with a condition called familial adenomatous polyposis, otherwise known as FAP or hereditary non-polyposis colon cancer. And they are the genetically predisposed people who are likely to go on to develop colon cancer. It's a genetic condition that's passed down through families. Um, and so people may electively choose to have their colon removed as a means of preventing occurrences of um, polyp cancer in the future. People with an inflammatory bowel disease, so ulcerative colitis and Crohn's, may choose to have a subtotal or total colectomy to remove the damaged or diseased colon. Uh, and depending on the type of 
colectomy done, the surgeon may also need to do a colostomy or an ileostomy. Now, another type of procedure that may occur um, might even be in somebody who already has a stoma, and that's called a completion colectomy. And all that simply means is that the remaining colon is removed following previous resection surgery. So, for instance, if somebody has had a hemicolectomy and they've still got half the bowel left, or if they've had most of their bowel removed, but they've still got um, the last remaining portion connected at the start, they may choose to have a completion colectomy to further remove that final part. And these are sometimes done if disease reoccurs, or even electively in some uh, inflammatory bowel disease patients for mucus control. So that covers all of our resections that occur in the large intestine. And that brings us down to the very last portion, which involves the rectum and the anal canal. So the rectum is the continuation of the sigmoid colon leading to the very end or the opening or the anal canal. And it is 12 to 15 centimeters in length. And in women, the anterior rectum or the front of the rectum is found very close to the posterior vagina and the uterine cervix. And in men, the rectum is situated behind the bladder, the vas deferens, the seminal vesicles, and the prostate. So the rectum sits in between lots of very delicate structures in both men and women. So operations and resections on this area um, can be quite involved, and there's lots of different types that I'm about to go through with you now. So when I start explaining these next three types of operations, I'm going to be referring to what we call an anterior resection. An anterior resection simply means via the front. So it's just the direction that we enter the body when surgeons perform this operation. So starting at the very top, because we've been following the intestines all the way through, and we've been starting from the very top, let's head down to the bottom. We have an anterior resection called a high anterior resection. And that's an operation that takes place in the upper rectum. So a high anterior resection is a type of colectomy, it's still a type of colectomy, which is surgical removal of part of the bowel. And it's also sometimes referred to as a sigmoid colectomy or simply sigmoidectomy, where the sigmoid colon and the last section of the colon before it connects to the rectum is removed. So the terms are interchangeable. You can either be having a high anterior resection or a sigmoid colectomy or sigmoidectomy. It's roughly the same thing. It just depends on how they're entering the body when they do that. Now, the further down in the rectum we get to, we start to broach into what we call a low anterior resection, which takes place in the middle of the rectum or mid-rectum. And a low anterior resection removes the sigmoid colon and part of the rectum. And low rectal cancer, which is often uh, what preempts these operations, is defined as any tumour lying within less than five centimetres from the anal verge or the very end of your bottom where all your muscles and nerves are. And a low anterior resection is used to remove tumours in the middle or upper part of the rectum. Okay, So when we're talking about centimetres, it doesn't sound like much, but you would be surprised with technology these days how close they can get in and remove certain parts of the bowel without doing damage to the muscles or the nerve supply to the anal canal. Now this is where we start getting into an ultra-low anterior resection. The differences between low and ultra-low are simply the measurements of how much they have to take before they get to the anal canal. So a low anterior resection removes the sigmoid colon and part of the rectum. And for the ultra-low tumours, they are for tumours with the lower margin, which is the very the lower part of the tumour, 
is situated between one and three centimeters above the dentate line. The dentate line is also another word for the anal verge, which is basically just inside the anus. Now, historically, cancers that were found in the past that were in, you know, the seven to eight centimeter range above the anal verge were treated with uh, abdominoperineal resections or an APR, which is the next resection that I'm going to be talking to you about. But with the recent development of things like circular stapling techniques um, and improvements in surgical techniques as a whole, it now facilitates the feasibility of ultra-low anterior resections of rectal tumours without having to cut out the anal tissues. Recent studies have also shown that a distal clearance margin of greater than one and a half centimetres is sufficient when the tumour histology differentiation is okay. Now, in English terms, that simply means that the studies are saying that even with a very small margin of clearance, so we're talking one and a half centimetres of clearance between the tumour or the resection that they take out of the bowel and the end of the anal verge or the very inside of the anus, is sufficient to preserve that musculature and the nerve supply provided that the cancer doesn't reach down too far into the anal area. If it does, then people have to undergo an abdominoperineal resection, which is our next type of resection. So as I mentioned, an abdominoperineal resection, or APR, also can be referred to as an abdominoperineal excision, or APE. We just call them APRs here in Victoria. But an abdominoperineal resection removes the rectum and the anus, the anal sphincter, and all the muscles uh, and lymphatics around the anus. And so in this type of operation, the uh, surgeon actually makes an incision into the perineum, which is the area between the anus and the vagina or scrotum. Um, and so they remove basically everything, including the anus. And now because of this, people undergoing an APR will always have to have a permanent colostomy. Um, because the anal sphincter is removed, which means they're basically removing any semblance of ability to hold in your waist, which means if they were to reconnect you after removing your anus, you would be permanently incontinent. So a colostomy is always necessary in these types of operations. And before, when I was talking about the fact that technology is really good these days and surgeons are able to perform more ultra-low anterior resections as opposed to APRs, um, sometimes people develop anal cancers uh, that grow into the muscles around that area and so there's no choice but to remove the anus and create a permanent stoma. So, uh, well, just to add in a few more definitions for those of you who are interested, we also sometimes see people undergoing what we call a proctectomy or a completion proctectomy. And a lot of the time that simply refers to removal of the remaining rectum. But the origins of the word of proctectomy uh, comes from a Greek word called proctos, which is for anus. So sometimes it's when the anus and, re and rectum are both removed. But uh, a lot of the times, some people will often come in to have what we call a completion proctectomy, where the remaining rectum is removed following previous resection. So they may have had like a colectomy or something like that, sparing the rectum, and then later on may either have to undergo a procedure to remove that or may electively choose to simply have that final part removed and have the anal sphincter closed off um, as a permanent solution. 
Alrighty, so that sums up the ectomies of the small and large intestines. And as I said, I want to finish off with talking about resections of the bladder and the urological system because just as many people have stomas formed for urinary diversions, and I think it's really important that you guys all learn about that too. And so starting off, we've got what we call a partial cystectomy. So cystectomy, uh, again, ectomy to cut out. Cysto refers to urine or bladder. And so partial cystectomy is where a part of the bladder is cut out. And that doesn't usually result in a stoma. It might just be to remove a bladder tumor or an area of diseased bladder. And that can often mean that they can simply stitch it back together and the patient would have to just have a catheter inserted for a period of weeks as that healed. In a radical cystectomy, however, all of the bladder is removed. And this may be undertaken for the resection of cancerous tumors. Other reasons to have a radical cystectomy might include a resection of bladder diverticula, ulcerative interstitial cystitis, bladder fistulas, and localized endometriosis of the bladder. Now, in men, men can sometimes undergo a combination procedure, which is what we call a cystoprostatectomy. Big long word. I can't say it after a few wines, don't worry. And a cystoprostatectomy, cysto again is bladder prostate in there is the prostate removal as well so in this type of procedure both the bladder and prostate are removed in the same procedure and an ileal conduit or urinary diversion stoma is formed as a result now you guys are real special because in that operation you have uh, more than one resection done you basically have both a bladder operation and a bowel operation you have a bladder resection to remove the bladder and you have a small bowel resection to take the section of um, small intestine that becomes your ileal conduit or the pathway through which urine exits the body. So you guys are a bit lucky on that front. Well, I've pretty much churned through all the resections today in pretty good time. I hope I haven't been too boring and I hope that you guys have gotten something out of it. And I want to leave you with one more fun fact because, hey, I love talking about everything to do with people's bottoms wherever they may be situated on the body. And I want to talk to you today about hemorrhoids and give you some little bit of medieval information because I think this is a little bit ich, even in this day and age where some of the things we do are probably considered a bit ich. So I want to talk about St. Fiacre's illness. St. Fiacre is known as the patron of hemorrhoids. And the tale says that St. Fiacre, a 7th century Irish monk who suffered from the disease, sat on a hard rock, and was miraculously cured of his illness. After that, the rock became known as St. Fiacre's Rock, and some medieval doctors who believed in the tale would send their patients to sit on the famous rock for a few hours to cure themselves of their hemorrhoids. As this was useless, however, it was not merely as painful as what other less superstitious doctors prescribed, which would be to insert a red-hot iron tube into the person's bottom and then call it a day. Isn't that lovely? All right, guys. Well, that wraps up today's episode. If you like the content that I'm providing to you, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes. I'd really appreciate that. Um, and if you really do like what I'm providing to you and you want to listen to it a bit more, feel free to subscribe um, to our Spotify channel under the Oz to Me Nurse Project, O-Z-T-O-M-Y, where we will be bringing to you weekly episodes on all things to do with stomas 
And we cover all sorts of different areas. So looking at a little bit about history of stomas, uh, as well as product types, troubleshooting ideas and how to fix skin problems, as well as just some fun facts that I bring to you randomly throughout each episode. Don't forget we've also got our YouTube channel that you can subscribe to under the same name, the Oz to Me Nurse Project, where you can have a look at some videos on how to navigate some of the websites that are available to you online to do with stomas. And if you guys want to leave a review on either YouTube or Spotify, feel free to do so. It definitely helps me tailor the episodes that I bring to you. On that note, these podcasts are purely educational and are not designed to provide treatments for any issues that people might be having. That would be a job for you to get in contact with a stoma nurse, your GP or your specialist. All right, guys, thanks again for tuning in today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Again, I'm your host, Felicity, coming to you as the Ostomy nurse from Down Under because that's where your stoma is. See you later. Bye.